has given me the double pointed finger, which means it can only mean one thing. It's a, uh, the the commencement, the, <laughs> the start of another Witch Car Weekly podcast. My name is Daniel Gardner. Um, you can already tell by his unorthodox introduction. Tim Robson, editor of Witch Car, joins us again. Thank you for coming back, Tim. Hello. Ah, from the double pointed finger to the double thumbs up. Um, and also uh, regrouping the same team once again. Uh, Chris Thompson, what am I going to call you this week, Chris? Something less finger-related, apparently, please. <laughs> that was last week. I thought we'd moved on. <laughs> oh, that's now a recurring theme, um, talking about <laughs> fingers. That's so weird. I'm definitely going to move it on. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Nothing digit-related. Um, this is, of course, which Car Weekly. And it's a chat about cars, uh, sometimes specific, most times very non-specific. Um, uh, just once again, Chris, what is your actual uh, title? Because I always get it wrong. I call you like... Digital journalist. Digital journalist. That's nowhere near good enough. You're a digital editor always in my mind. Um, let's kick straight off with it. We're going to begin this week's chat with something uh, inherently newsy, as we like to. Um, and sorry if you're trying to ignore the impending doom of the planet and the coronavirus pandemic, um, but we're going to remind you with uh, one thing that's popped up in our filters this week. Robbo, tell us all about it. It's involved with Formula One, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, breaking news on the eve of the uh, the, the uh, British Grand Prix, which is kind of, uh, it's almost a bit of a symbol of how crap 2020 has become. The, uh, they were aiming for this Grand Prix at Silverstone to be the 70th anniversary uh, of the first Grand Prix. There was going to be marching bands and jets flying overhead and who knows what else they were going to do with it. It's all obviously turned to great steaming piles of coronavirus poo. Uh, and on the eve of this uh, event, one of the drivers has come down with COVID-19. Oh, dear. Okay, now do we know yes. who? Absolutely, we do, mate. Look, um, my, I'm just having a bit of a read through. Most of the jet drivers were in the UK. Uh, this is the, uh, one of the drivers of the Racing Point uh, team, formerly uh, Force India, formerly several other things. They race the, the bright pink uh, cars owned by Lance Stroll, whose dad owns most of Aston Martin. Um, but Sergio Perez is the Mexican-born driver, uh, and he's come down uh, with a case of the flu, currently in isolation. Um, but the team says they're still going to race both their cars on Sunday. But I actually have a bit of a, a bit of a foreboding, you know, foreboding feeling that this could be a quite a bad thing for the for the Grand Prix weekend in general. I mean, you don't really want to have one of your drivers with the coronavirus, even if they haven't been in contact with anybody else. It just doesn't feel like a good look for me. It certainly isn't. No, I mean, it, is this just yet another indication that we we we're trying to return to some state of normal, but we're going to keep getting. Um, key people infected uh, with coronavirus and is it just another point that that we can't get our lives back to normal whether it be you know f1 aces or lowly journalists like us until there's a there's a vaccine is that is that what we can uh, conclude from this i think so mate look the us has kind of gone gangbusters with the, trying to open their economies and we've we can all see how badly that's gone um interestingly the the, the nascar guys have been racing for for months now um, and only one driver, Jimmy Johnson, one of the, the famed multiple championship winner, uh, came down with a seems like the briefest case of COVID in history. He was back on the track in a couple, couple of weeks' time, so obviously it was a maybe a, an, an advanced case of the sniffles for him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you, mate. Look, it's 
trying to get everything up and going uh, in the way that they're doing. You know, Silverstone is another uh, uh, spectator-free uh, weekend. It is, as I said, the you know was supposed to be the biggest event in the, in the F1's uh, season. You know, anniversary, the seventieth anniversary of GPs running, all that kind of stuff. It's just gone to complete poop. So, but the, everything seems to be forging ahead. They're talking about uh, putting in. Uh, the guy that uh, Daniel uh, Ricciardo kind of you know, bailed out of the um, out of the Lotus team last last year, uh, young Hulkenberg, it uh, looks like he's going to get a start again. Uh, just to, I suppose he's got he's, he's got his super license, which is actually a, something to consider. You just can't sort of you know grab a kid from the B division and stick him in the car. He has to have a super license to race Formula One. Um, so that uh, yes, it looks like Nico Hulkenberg gets a, a lifeline, gets a chance to drive the uh, the much vaunted uh, copy of the Mercedes from last year that everyone's blooming about. Um, it seems to be all, all uh, everything's going forward for the weekend. But I reckon watch this space. That's um, that's the only thing that's stopping uh, all three of us being F1 drivers is we don't have our super licenses. Uh, other than that, we've got the talent and the oh, yeah. um, the support <laughs> and the money uh, and the charisma. It's literally the fact we don't have our super licenses stopping us. I think one's in the mail. I'm not sure. Oh yes, you are the infinitely most qualified <laughs> racer of the three of us. Um, uh-huh. when, so all these spectatorless races going on. Um, who pay? How are they making any money? You know, obviously, majority of the revenue is walking through the turnstiles on on game day with a, mm. with a completely absent audience. Where, where's the cash coming from, or is it just like all businesses? They're just going into massive deficit and hoping that we see the end of this crisis so they can start making the cash back. You kind of have to wonder, don't you? And when the when the Grand Prix blew up in in everyone's face in Australia, there was lots of talk about the fact that if the event had the event had actually started, did that then trigger uh, insurance clauses, all that kind of stuff? You know, force majeure, uh, force of nature, all that kind of stuff to actually be able to get insurance money back if the event couldn't go ahead. So there was all this, which was sort of you know arguably one of the reasons that the decision was made so late to cancel the event in its entirety because there were people in back rooms arguing about bloody insurance policies. So in terms of having nobody at the events as we speak, I feel there's a bit of obligation. Like They, they want to have a championship. They don't just want to give it away. Uh, having said that, they do have to run, I think it's 16 events, something like that, to actually constitute a proper championship. So oh, when we look at really? it in 2040... They have to have a certain number of events to actually say, well, yeah, we've actually had an event. Uh, so we, ha- we had a season in 2020. It was a bit weird. Uh, we're going to all these crazy tracks we haven't been to for years, like Imola and, and all sorts of other places. Uh, but it will actually constitute a championship, whether it's a, a sort of a, an abbreviated version or not. But in terms of the revenues, uh, we've talked about it on which card I completed you before about how this will affect teams at the end of the year. If your business is to build a racing car, put it on a track and, and run endless laps uh, and you get paid for that, then you're not doing that. So how do you get paid? And sponsors as well. They're not getting their bang for your buck with a big sticker down the side of the car. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the fun it will be if we get to the end, nearing the end of the championship or the season and they've still got a couple of events to fill? Like, put me on that board to decide what we do <laughs> because I will come up with an event. It won't be anything like what you've seen before. It'll be, I don't know, some kind of nude race or something. But it'll be an event that can constitute one of the 16. So, please. Queensland Raceway. Just chuck <laughs> them on the track. I'm pretty sure it's not certified, but just 
F1 um, at yeah. Queensland Raceway, do it. I'm Make pretty it certain <laughs> one of the basic fundamentals to, uh, required to host an F1 race is that you have um, a toilet block that's this side of the 15th century, <laughs> I think, is probably one of the requirements, which the Queensland Raceway does not have. What do you say about Queensland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying nothing. This is, I have no bugbear with Queensland <laughs> itself. I'm just saying that it's possibly one of the worst um, facilities I've ever been to at a racing venue. Well, they've run a, they've run races around car parks of casinos before in the eighties. They ran the uh, uh, around Jupiter's not Jupiter's that's in Queensland. The uh, one of the big casinos in <laughs> that the would States be incredible. <laughs> in in uh, in yeah exactly in, uh, in MGM uh, Las or Vegas. One of those. Yeah, yeah, one of the Caesar's and Palace? it was a massive track. Caesar's Palace. Thank you, Chris. Um, it, it was it. a huge track. It was about four kilometers long, four and a half kilometers long. Plenty of pass, uh, passing spots. It could have parked. I don't know, 40,000 cars. It was absolutely, I thought it was just going to be around and around the clothesline, but it was actually a proper Grand Prix. Okay, subject for an upcoming Witch Car Weekly podcast, places they should host races. It even rhymes. <laughs> this is like, this is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to move on to a different subject. Um, Chris, this is uh, something that you uh, brought up. I think this is a lovely idea. Um, we'll start with the background, which is uh, legendary car designer Ian Callum um, obviously very recently worked for Jaguar Land Rover um, he's the guy that designed the F-Type I think most people would agree that's one of his finest um, works uh, but he has recently left uh, and he's taken the opportunity and now he's in this unbridled realm of car design I don't think anyone tell me if I'm wrong he's not signed with anyone else now I think that's kind of Callum sort of retiring isn't it He's he's not retired. He's actually started his own company. He's That's it's right. called I think it's just called Callum Design. And That'll do. So essentially, yeah, why not? He's you know one of the most well-known car designers uh, still living. So it makes sense for him to just say, well, I've got the name to do it. Um, and he he's responsible for basically turning Jaguar's styling around into this century skipping, you know, from the 50s where it was kind of stuck. Uh, <laughs> so for him to look at some of his earlier work from the early 2000s and say, oh, I could make this better, was really interesting. And what he's done is he's taken, before he was at Jaguar, he was kind of working around here and there and uh, spent some time at Aston Martin and designed what is probably one of the best-looking Aston Martins of recent times, the Vanquish from 2001. <laughs> or 2000 and essentially that car was already gorgeous but he had looked at it recently and went oh but what if I changed this here this there added something here and then put a joke under the you know rear exhaust and we've got uh what he's calling the Aston Martin Callum Vanquish 25 by R Reforged catchy (laughs) God, that's a, rolls off the tongue, doesn't, doesn't it? It's a much that's that's from memory. I'm pretty sure that's about the worst name to give one of the best looking cars you could think of. But it's not the um, um it's not the winner of the longest uh name car name in history. I just drove that car this week. It's called well, let me get this right. The Mazda 3 X20 Skyactive X M hybrid. <laughs> But oh, that's not that's... what we're talking about. Sorry, yes, I digress slightly, but that's just I'm pretty certain <laughs> the longest thing. But that's close. The, the um, Callum's redone Vanquish is a close contender for second in the longest kind. Now, tell me some of the things he's done to this, because, uh, and then I want to know your opinion whether he's done a particularly good job. What, what were the modifications headline? Uh, 
some of the changes he had made to it included uh, essentially grabbing much of the interior, putting uh, different, you know, different materials and stuff. He, he kind of looked at it and went, I like the way that this car looks, but I think if I had built it in 2020 right now, I would use better materials, higher technology. So it's not a massive styling change. It's just tweaks and improvements on the technology that was available 20 years ago. So he changed the suspension, for example. It turned He turned the steering into something a bit more palatable because that was one of the things he said that he wasn't happy with in the original car. Obviously, he's not an cool. engineer, but he's very much into cars, clearly. So... Um, but he's yeah changed. He's put carbon in the interior. Uh, he's added small details like uh, the uh, the strakes across the the side um, vents near the front doors, and he's added just little cross-hatched metallic uh, inlays in there that look really quite nice and actually work really well with the rest of the car. And then uh, one thing that the car he's already built has is uh, just underneath the exhaust pipes at the rear has written in big white text, made you look. So presumably it's a bit noisier now then? Well, it's actually, yes, he's he's also changed the exhaust. I think it's a, it might be a stainless steel exhaust now. It's definitely... One so. there, there was a, um, no, but like uh, just a full like redo of whatever it was made from in 2001. And then... Uh, the headers and everything, the extractors have been redone as well. So it sounds sounds better. It's supposed to have also gained a bit more power through that and the airbox. So, yeah. um, super interesting because that was the time that the that Aston debuted. Uh, it was part of the Ford Empire. It was part of the Premier Automotive Group. So there was, uh, I think it was Aston Martin. There was Jaguar. There was Land Rover. There was Volvo, and they were all under this uh, alternate brand owned by Ford called Premier Automotive Group. So I remember we had a, a, uh, an Aston out on test for Motor Magazine and you, and you look under the, um, the, the wing mirror and it had uh, Ford stamped under there. Like there were, there, there was, so in terms of engineering a performance car, uh, Ian would have definitely been under pressure to use stuff from across the group. So who knows ah. what kind of steering rack it had? Who knows what kind of Transit. restrictions he had on, yeah, transit, a transit <laughs> transaxle, who knows? Um, but certainly in terms of, I think that's fascinating that he's used that modern suspension, for example. How far have we come since sort of 2001 to today in terms of just damper quality and, and, and feel and ride and things like that? So to take a fundamentally good car, if you've got the wheels in the right corners and you've got the, the right track and the right wheelbase and all of the fundamentals are there, you can only improve it, right? Like a, a good car is always going to be a good car. If you can sort of fine-tune those elements with more modern stuff, happy days. That's a great idea. I'm really happy it's that you, you, said that up. you said... Because um, he... Go on, go on, Chris. All right, over to you. <laughs> he, he, he did actually work for that group in a whole. So there are, you know, probably bits of Fords from the early 2000s that Ian Callum designed. And it's kind of funny to think the guy who designed your cup holder in your, you know, Fiesta from 2002 could have been the same guy that designed the F-Type, one of the best-looking cars in recent years. <laughs> it's the only bit of classy heritage you'll find in a Fiesta, that's for sure. Um, so I'm pleased, you, I'm pleased that you mentioned those more fundamental mechanical modifications because 
that's meaningful. If it had been just down to a styling exercise, which I wrongly assumed it was, then I found it a bit underwhelming. And and what I mean by that is it kind of looked a bit like he'd been to Halfords and just added, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, like tailpipe or as, tips. Or as we Australians call it, super cheap auto. Yeah, but he's a pong, so it's Halford's. Um, so, That's true. You do have that knowledge. So, yeah, I just found it a bit underwhelming. It looked like he'd been over it. You know, for a guy who's capable of designing, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful cars in the world, I just thought it was a bit undercooked. I understand that, you know, restamping panels is not something you can do, even if you're pretty well healed like him. But even so, I kind of, I like the idea that, maybe he'd revisit the styling a bit. Perhaps this is his way of saying, screw you, dickbag, I got it right the first time round. Um, and it only <laughs> needs a bit of... Precisely, yeah. <laughs> That's what I would have I said. It would, be, it would have been odd if he'd uh, completely changed everything and said, yeah. no, you guys are right, I absolutely stuffed it back then. <laughs> well, you say that. Um, if you haven't listened to it, listen back to episode 57 of Which Car Weekly when I spoke to Mark Allen, the chief designer at Jeep. Um, and I asked him the same question, and I honestly didn't expect to get a particularly good answer out of him because, you know, for exactly that reason, you don't want to admit you, you underdid something or it was a bit, a bit crap. But he, um, he did have a good answer to that, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm trying to get people to listen to the previous episodes. But he gave a really good answer um, to and said that there's a previous Jeep that he thought was really underdone and could be improved dramatically. On that subject, what do we? This is this is. Oh, I mean, we could talk for hours on this, and I've had a good think about some examples. I want you guys to give me your ideas of vehicles that you'd like to have go back and have a, another go at. Now, it could be mechanical, as Ian has done to his Aston Vanquish, or it could be uh, a styling rework. And we can break, keep it as broad as possible. Either cars that were almost right, like beautiful, but you reckon could just be a bit better, or ones that were just plain buggers and needed to go back to the drawing board. Let's start with Chris, please. I had to think about this and selfishly I kept coming back to a car I've previously owned. Um, the second generation Golf GTI from the oh, you know, late eighties. That's and a I great really, suggestion. And I really like that boxy eighties styling. And I think if you had the capability to build a car like that in 2020, you'd be able to build something really interesting that maybe without some of the really chunky plastic uh, especially here in Australia, we had what was called the big bumper, which meant our bumpers just looked like the car had three pairs of pants on because the lower <laughs> half was a bit too, a bit too sort of bulbous, if that makes sense. When you look such at it, such a good up. description. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but the European ones looked really nice and a bit more sleek, uh, a bit more of like a, an '80s sports hot hatch because they just had smaller bumpers and all of the proportions were correct. But I feel like if you made that car <laughs> in 2020, you'd be able to put, you know, uh, better looking lights in, keep the circular dual headlights and all of mm. that, you know, change the angles of some of it a little bit, but not too much. Um, maybe see if there was a better way to uh, incorporate uh, guards other than just black rigid, rigid plastic. <laughs> totally agreed. That's a lovely one. Um, Robbo, what would you like to weigh in with? I'm going to go back to Nissan's 350Z. Oh. Now, when that when that car came out, uh, obviously V6, rear-wheel drive, so the fundamentals were there, fantastic design, you know, really sort of pushed the, pushed the curve in terms of uh, 
of what Nissan was doing, trying to hark back to the, you know, basically the 240Z was one of the cars that literally saved the company. Uh, massive fight against the, the Japanese hierarchy from the from the Americans of the time who really needed a car to go back into the market to say, hey, we're not just the purveyor of boring stuff. So you sort of take the 350Z and you think that that's a, a move on from there. I felt at the time, and I still feel today, that that could have harked back to something like the Datsun 1600, as we as we know it, or the, the Datsun yeah. 510 that was known overseas. So lighter weight, smaller engine, rear-wheel drive, you know, multi-link rear suspension, but more affordable. The 350Z ended up, I think, retailing around 75 grand uh, when it dropped, and it was competing against cars like the, uh, the Mazda MX-5, I think, and let's say NB, something like that. So around 40 grand. So it was a vastly more expensive car. There was the kind of the brief interruption of the 200 uh, ZX that was brought over. That was closer to the mark in terms of a an affordable rear-wheel drive. You know what will eventually become a classic, and probably probably has in in a small way, not like the 1600. But for mine, if I could go back to the 350Z, I'd take 150, 200 kilos out of it, uh, a smaller capacity engine again to save some weight. Um, Keep that beautiful design, keep the, the track width and the wheelbase, the things that really give it its presence, uh, but really go to town, make it affordable, uh, make it fun, make it tunable, as, as Toyota so famously did with the 86 platform that was uh, sent out to, uh, to, to car modifiers before it was even released in the general public. So Is that true? I, really I didn't know feel, that. That's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, look, they, they sent it to the, uh, the Juns and the, uh, the HKSs of the world to say, do your worst. Yeah, if you want to put a... You know, a, a, a Supercharged V8, and we don't care. That was the, that was the amazing so thing about cool. the, the 86, actually. And and they were going to guarantee it for track use and all sorts of stuff. But that's where I think Nissan could have uh, could have done something with the 350Z. They sort of followed that kind of path. Yeah, because that car is now the classic example of you know how cars with each um, regeneration get fatter and heavier and keep hold of old technology and don't gain enough new and 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 that, yeah. So what's the, the the 400 is coming, isn't it? I think, uh, that- which is weird. I mean, I, and I, yeah, from an industry side of uh, the the coin, you know, that just smacks of a car company that is in deep trouble. Yeah, it does. You know, it, it, yeah, the PR and the marketing people are saying we need something that's a little bit more exciting. What what do we got? So, like, well, we've got this 370 thing that's been on the the yeah. go since 2000, you know, four or whatever it's you know, whenever it was introduced. And I, think I was still in high school when the three seventy <laughs> went on sale. Yeah. That's not an exaggeration. The 70, not even the fifty, the seventy. It uh, really is so that young. Actually, I just started high school. It was two thousand and eight, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. That was my. And they've just rolled this thing out again. They've just added a bit more power. And I'm with you, Dan. I'm I'm not convinced. There's been a lot of traffic about it. We've we've written about it on the site, but I don't think it's going to be anything like what people see. And I think that's just down to the budget that they don't have. Of course, the flip side, the opposite way of dealing with it was exactly what Mazda did with the MX-5 and the current generation. You know, it went through three generations getting fatter and bigger and and heavier. And then for the current ND um, generation, they went, no, we're going back to to first principles. I think it's it's slightly shorter and about the same weight as the first generation. So it can can be done. It can be done. You just need Mazda's money. It's definitely heavier than the first generation, but good luck building a 970 kilo car these days. Yeah, actually, yeah. the Suzuki Swift Sport is. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that the the NA sounds like the ND. Yeah, like if you yeah. drove them, 
I had a friend who had DNA, the first one of the first sort of performance cars I got to have a drive of, and I was I fell in love with with small lightweight rear drivers from that moment on. But the ND, I swear to God, sounds exactly like the NA. <laughs> if an if you buy an ND and it sounds anything like my NA, take it back to the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, okay. I'm going to weigh in with my suggestion. It's funny, funny you should say that because. Um, I'm going to go the Toyota 86. <laughs> because, hear me out, wait. Um, all the reasons we just talked about it being brilliant and that new wonderful morsel of information that you just gave us, Robbo, um, great. All of that notwithstanding, um, the reason I think they need to go back and have another go is it doesn't look anything like the car that it has the name on. What I was expecting, if they just announced the name before showing us this little low-slung two-seater coupe, I'd be like, that's not kind of the beautifully weird hatchback sort of strange thing that the mm. A86 was. So I think they got it completely wrong from a styling perspective. As a sports car and a driver's enthusiast car, completely nailed it, like uncontestably brilliant. But it, it wasn't the homage. It wasn't honouring the original at all. It could completely gone a different design direction. So so I argue that's um, that could be a wonderful, can you imagine though, a modern day version mm. of that wonderful little um, three-door hatch? Um, and I guess... Both of you have probably seen over in your travels that they've done a notchback or, or a booted version yeah. of the AE86, which I found just to be such a weird outlier. And I thought yeah, everyone wants the, you know, the lovely uh, coupe style, you know, the lift back version. I wanted that booted version. I nearly put the, the cash down on a very dodgy example at a, <laughs> at a Japanese wrecker one day. And thankfully I didn't, but it was gone the next day for, for crazy money. So I think they're the, they'll be a classic in the future as well. Um, but the one that probably came closest was, of course, the, the Toyota Australia Design Centre version, where they did the um, the shooting brake version of the 86. That, of course, had that boot, and it kind of was a little bit more That's like right. the original, but um, still not quite there. Before we move on, I, I just want to um, uh, give you one more uh, suggestion, which is the second-generation Audi TT. So first-generation, obviously, wonderful, like changed the game in terms of design and, and retro. Um, and the current generation is glorious. I think it's one of the nicest looking cars on the road. But that one in between kind of broke the bloodline. It was so off. Um, but I don't think it would take much uh, redesigning to get right. What do you reckon? I'm with you, mate. Like it was, as you say, the, the original TT with its, you know, notwithstanding its, uh, its sort of disturbing uh, penchant for uh, spitting you off the uh, the uh, <laughs> autobahns at, at high speed with a lack of redoubt force. Let's let's just gloss over that. Um, but yeah, they didn't. It was sort of half. It was half and half, wasn't it? They, they were sort of half pregnant with the second one. Yeah, totally. That is a sad fact about the original one. I was dropping an Audi back at a dealership not too long ago, and they had an original TT out the front. And apparently, a lot of them are being crushed because there's a Takata related uh, issue. Oh, no fix it there's something that they can't fix with the airbag at all they can't replace it or something like that i can't remember what it was that's terrible are being destroyed and probably means you'll rarely see an original audi tt anymore which is awful because we need to round them up and put them in a warehouse somewhere and just let people forget about them (laughs) because i guarantee in 30 years time if you had a barn full of original first generation audi tts no one would give two shits about whether it had a functioning airbag or not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly right. I think you're 100% Give me the right shrapnel. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A unique car on its, it was on its own platform. You know, the obvious, the new one or the current one is on the the ubiquitous MQB, the same as a Golf, the same as a, a A3. Same as every um, German car. 
Oh, by the Volkswagen. Group. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But the, yeah, that was AFP. I think that was the original platform. But yeah, absolutely. A, a moment in time car with that. Uh, the the uh, the baseball glove stitching. If you got yeah, the one that tan leather. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. Such so my car. solution to the problem is simple. Like, for all these cars, you know, if, you, if you're having difficulty um, getting a replacement Takata airbag for your car, whether it be a TT or not, um, just buy a Kevlar steering wheel cover and just pop it over. So that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So we started this segment talking about um, uh, Ian Callum, uh, one of the world's um, most famous and arguably best car designers. And uh, I'll finish off this segment, guys, with a little anecdote. I, I was chatting to, or I was with a group of journalists at the New York show years ago, and I wandered over into the circle of people talking, um, one of whom was Ian Callum. I'd missed the start of the story, and what he was actually talking about was his when he was awarded um, his CBE, or OBE, so Order of the British Empire. Um, and he got to the point in the story where he got past that part, but now he was telling everyone how he got a letter from the Queen. And I walked into the story and I said, without even thinking that it was massively offensive, I said, God, you don't look 100 at all. Like, and he looked at me like I'd just taken a piss on his kids and said, oh my get the Lord. birthday card when you turn 100. This was the letter for my OVE. And I was like, <laughs> I, thought I, was just, I thought I was just having a little poke, a bit of fun. But yeah, he, he didn't, it didn't go down very well. And, and you haven't been on a Jaguar launch since? <laughs> Thank you. So we've we've chatted <laughs> since, and we're best friends again. Um, Chris, from one supercar to an entirely different kind, um, tell us about. Uh, is this a blessing or a curse? I've been following your Instagram stories, um, uh, and you've been you've started on this vigil. I'm calling it saga because you've embarked <laughs> upon the Technic Lego Lamborghini. Is it Cian? Yes, it is. I've got several thousand pieces of Lego sprawled across my bedroom at the moment and a very mechanical looking 60 centimeter long uh, chassis for a Lamborghini Sian that uh, <laughs> I've been I've t- so far I think I've dropped six hours into it and I'm 300 no! steps in out of out of about a thousand I'm not the fastest with Lego and I've also been uh, documenting it on my own Instagram and on the Motor Official Instagram, which is at Motor Official. But so I've been taking a bit longer to do it with all of the messing around with that I've been doing. But yep, I'm I'm currently 300 steps into a. I think it's 1,050 <gasps> steps or something like that. There are two booklets that have hundreds of pages each. So if you did the um, maths, you're going to be 45 by the time you finish this. It's going to take me, yeah, it's going to take me a good 20 years to do this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's really fun. It's quite relaxing. I'll just chuck on a very long Spotify playlist and when the playlist finishes, I guess I'm done for the night. <laughs> that's so um, wonderful. So that's my question is that you've kind of already answered it. You're saying it's fun. But, I mean, I always remember looking forward to uh, Technic Lego sets as a kid and probably, you know, too many years out of kiddom. Um, there's that sense of excitement when they start and then there's the sense of disappointment as the end approaches because you know you then all you can do is, is play with it and everyone knows the real fun in Lego is building it. Um, is that what point are you in this are you are you going to actually because of the length of the project is it the sense of satisfaction all the better when you actually finish it I'm actually terrified because I've got so long <laughs> to go I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing working on it but last night I spent about three hours on it and I got about an hour and a half into the building I had done last night and was just, I all of the drivetrain was together and the steering was starting to come together. 
and I just turned one of the cogs to see the wheels turn. And oh, it was really satisfying when all of the wheels turned at the same time. The problem was that the wheels at one end of the car were spinning clockwise and the wheels at the other end of the car were spinning <laughs> clockwise. And I had a quick moment of like, what, how would this happen in a real car? What's going on? And I had a really close look and worked out that I'd put the front diff in the wrong way around. Oh, wow. So, it's so, so I had good. To, I had to undo the drive shafts. I felt like a weird kind of half-baked mechanic pulling the drive shafts apart and unclipping the steering rack to get to the diff to turn that around. And I had to do some surgery <laughs> on some... That is absolutely wonderful. That's, I'm so pleased to hear that the, the, the advancement of Technic Lego has got to the point where you can actually make the same cock-ups you, you can on a real car. <laughs> <laughs> but once well, I, I did manage to fix it all up. I undid about half an hour of work and had to put all of that together, wow. which didn't take me as long the second time around. But now all the wheels spin in the same direction, so that's really great. <laughs> I think that's what they want it to do. You're a well-respected and regarded journalist, which means I'm assuming you didn't pay a cent for this thing. But if people wanted to put themselves in the same <laughs> hell that you are, Chris, how much would they have to pay for the pleasure? Um, so Lego was kind enough to send this one to Motor, which means as soon as I'm done with it, Scott Newman is probably going to raid my apartment for it. But <laughs> uh, upon... Uh, upon finding out how much this was, I think I did have a small heart attack because it costs six hundred dollars. <gasps> but it does come with a three thousand six hundred and ninety-six pieces. I think that's yeah. the correct number. Well, you can work out the cost yeah. per piece, can't you? Well, I'm not going to because that'd be really boring and it would take <laughs> no, me way too I've long. I've done that got. in the past, actually. <laughs> not oh, this interesting. Set. We look forward to uh, to hearing the full review once it's complete and uh, and wishing you a happy 600th birthday, Chris. When that happens. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Let's do it all again in, on a, in a date in the near future. Um, until then, do stay safe out on the roads, whatever you are doing, whatever you're driving, and let us know all about it. Whichcar.com.au is the place you can find out all our bits and pieces and join us on the social medias, whichcarau. Um, and until next time, do stay safe. Goodbye, and see you again soon. What kind of piece of Lego is this? That's the Lego. That's all we had.